Do you know what nemesis means? Hello and welcome to Direct, the podcast that takes a direct trajectory through a director's filmography. I'm Eric. I'm Levi. The Fantastic Mr. Fox is the movie we watched this week. Levi, tell us about The Fantastic Mr. Fox. It is the story of one Mr. Fox and his wild ways of hen heckling, turkey taking, and cider sipping. He puts his wild days behind him when he becomes a father, but when he tries just one more raid on the three nastiest, meanest farmers that are Bogus Bunsen Bean. It is a tale of family responsibilities and friendship versus midnight adventures in the animal kingdom inhabited by Mr. Fox and his friends. Based on this short story by Roald Dahl, Eric, what'd you think? I really like this movie. This is the first time I'd seen it. So excited for you. Um, I thought the characters were all really fun. I love the animation style. I thought that it was... Uh, the one thing that really blew me away is how well the animation style translated to performances. Mm-hmm. Um, I really thought that they animated it so well that it made me kind of think that maybe they acted out some of these performances and then they just mimic the actions of the actors. I'm not really sure how it worked out, yeah. but I was really, really strongly impressed with the performances of the actors. And I like that it's a Wes Anderson movie mm-hmm. that doesn't have any death in it. <laughs> That's a I first. Don't think. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um so I like that, uh, and I like that it that it translated to a kids movie in a way that is still really funny for adults uh, in in many smirking ways, and and is also a very very uh, effective you know fable um, about appealing to your truest self, which I thought was really nice. Do you know so, the the Rule Doll book? Have you read Fantastic Mr. Fox by Rule Doll? No, my wife said that her dad used to read it to her. Never um, read it either, so I was yeah. hoping for a basis, something to compare it to. It's the the one thing I didn't get to do before recording was find a copy and read it. So yeah, well, when I was a kid, Roald Dahl was a big, um, probably the first literary influence that I had in my life was Roald mm-hmm. Dahl. Maybe him and R.L. Stein. <laughs> <laughs> Good combination. But, you know, uh, the BFG, the witches, big fan of the witches, um, the Twits. Uh, of course, uh, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of really cool um, stories there. And I watched, I tried to watch the the first twenty minutes or so of the BFG on an airplane. That was mm-hmm. a Steven Spielberg movie that came out this year. It's also based yeah. on a Roald Dahl book. Yep. Um, hard to make it through that. I didn't even bother. Didn't even bother trying. Yeah, it was just a. Uh, yeah, it was just kind of didn't come across as as super entertaining. Is which is kind of weird because it's like about giant giants and uh, mm-hmm. and then and then of course you know there's there's uh, if you want to talk about adaptations you have Tim Burton's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory uh, mm-hmm. movie. So you know Roald Dahl, somebody who's been on film but has been somebody that has been interpreted by. Um, household name directors over time and i don't know how how accurately this follows the tale yeah. of and that's what i was kind of curious yeah. about was where they where they hew to the original story and how much is because it's certainly thematically wes anderson right very in, in the story of the in the tale itself mm-hmm. there are a lot of themes that we've seen come up several times so yeah i'm 
I was I'd be curious just to compare. Yeah, I if he uh, adapted material that's in his that he prefers or did he take the original material and really make something of his own 100% or like 99 if it's 99% Wes Anderson is what I'm wondering. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I don't know how, like, the... Um, oh, geez, I, f- I forgot even, like, James and the Giant Peach and Matilda. I mean, pretty prolific children's, um, children's author. Uh, I also share a birthday with him. Oh, happy yeah. birthday. Thanks, not today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to see how many pages it is, because they do say it's a short story. Yeah. Um, and short but, stories for kids are... Just a couple yeah. pages. Uh, it's 112 pages, so oh. it's it's a it's a novella, um, mm-hmm. depending on how big the font is and the spacing. <laughs> how many, uh, how but I I assume certain things came across. Like I assume like the the poem is probably Roald Dahl. Uh, mm-hmm. The basic yeah. kind of the way that the characters interact. You could see kind of that Roald Dahl. He's got that dry sense of humor he's also got that world building ability that that wes anderson also has oh yeah um so i i assume kind of the broad strokes of the the three farms three factories uh and and mr fox going on these this final raid which is great um but i was also a little afraid in this movie i was afraid that uh that um oh what's the name of the the cousin kid christopherson Christopherson was going to die, and then I was going to be like, "Jesus, it got so dark." Yeah, um, but he didn't die; he was just kidnapped. <laughs> uh, I was surprised when the fox and the people started talking to each other. Yeah, it's a interesting. You get a lot of kids' movies that mm-hmm. they don't cross over. There's, right, there's a barrier of, in the, the language, but I enjoy that they they communicate and. That they communicate in funny ways, even with the cutting. You know, they both question cutting out the the letters for the note, yeah. Even though they know who it's sent from, right? Um, and the fact that the animals do it back is such a. The humans are like, why would they do this? Like, oh, we did it. <laughs> well, we did it. Okay. Um. Yeah, it's it's an interesting take, and there's a lot of there's the the way they interact with the humans. Is mm-hmm. so fascinating because it does seem that with the commonality, it, the re, part of the reason for the barrier <laughs> is that it, it when humans try and kill the animals, it helps to right. explain that. So exactly. is this just really awful human beings that even though yeah. they can communicate with these animals, it's still the human mentality of the, uh, you know, the we shall inherit the earth, the be king over it all, and right, a little biblical. Well, and at the same time, uh, it seems like only carnivorous animals, although maybe not only carnivorous, because I don't think squirrels are carnivorous, uh, but there's only a certain class of animal that has this anthropomorphized, you know, uh, sensibility. Yeah, the, the, the where, beagles have, like, don't yeah, seem to share it. The chickens and the the all the prey that the, the fox eats are just these mindless yeah, that's true. There's a hierarchy even right. within and the... even the dogs don't talk to each other either. Like the mm-hmm. beagles and they they don't speak. So there's a weird mythology here. Uh 
But it, the thing that I really liked about this, and the thing that I think we haven't talked about in terms of Anderson and his filmography, mm-hmm. that I think comes across really strongly in this movie, is the physical comedy. Yes. So there's, much physical comedy here. Yeah, and there's a, I think there's a lot of physical comedy throughout his filmography. Um, you know, just the way that people take up space, I think, is really interesting. Uh-huh. And, but, it, you know, it comes across really exaggerated here because you can't help but be mesmerized by the stop motion. And, I mean, anytime I watch a stop motion movie, I'm always just astounded at the artistry that goes into it. And so I start to really marvel at it and focus on it. So when there is physical comedy in a stop motion movie, then I'm like, you know, 100% focused on it. So things like, small things, like when... um when Mr. Fox's son and uh, Christopherson are doing their dives off of the yeah, <laughs> yeah off the tree, of the tree bridge, and then there's this moment where Christopherson does his dive, and Mr. Fox just you know goes over the moon about it. It's just the most amazing thing, and you just see um, Ash. You see Ash just towel himself off angrily, <laughs> where he's <laughs> Ash running does a great the towel job over of emoting for for a model. Yeah, I I really love it, and I love how um, I love how this movie like uh, accepts its imperfections. Like I love how you could see the little marks on the fur of where the fingers were moving the yeah the for the characters, and uh, and yet it's still like so Wes Andersony. It makes me really excited to see his next movie, which is also going to be stop motion. Um. Because I think it's a nice breather for him. Yeah. But he... it still allows him to, to do his thing. It's just, uh, you know, it, it allows him to kind of focus on it a little bit harder and and uh, and also lighten up a little bit without, you know, removing death from the plot and that sort of thing. Yeah. We we talked a little bit last week about the repetition. He, he had kind of gotten into a rut, and I think mm. critically he got mm-hmm. a lot of flack for Darjeeling and... Azizu, uh, and critically, everybody was really pretty thrilled with this movie, and I right. I agree with the the sentiment that this movie was kind of a fresh take for him. Uh, mm-hmm. It was nice to see him get into a a new medium that was so physical because he is and exacting, uh, given his his nature. Yeah, and he still gets to do his favorite stuff. We have our confident leader. We have our our Mm-hmm. Our slightly buffoonish fox who right um even at one point makes the the speech when he's talking to his wife about how he needs everybody to to be to admire him and to right. like him and maybe fear him a little bit and if not he doesn't feel successful and that's mm-hmm. We get a character moment that covers Dignan, Zisu, <laughs> Max, uh and all of the brothers in in Darjeeling Limited, mm-hmm. and it was, I think was yeah. And to have that and still feel like he's he's still trying something new is is really a a pretty powerful ability to keep mm-hmm. to maintain yourself while being fresh. Yeah, we've you know we've talked about this archetype of uh, I was calling it the confident buffoon, mm-hmm. um, but you know the thing about the confident buffoon is that they're always the leader of the pack. And they're always 
really charismatic and people follow them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like I said, Dignan, Max, Royal, um, Steve, and uh, and then Owen Wilson's character in Dar- Darjeeling, I think all characterize this archetype. Um, but this movie has that moment. And you, you mentioned it, but I want to read it because it's basically, I think, Wes Anderson laying out his main character mm-hmm. in, in all of his movies. Um, he says, uh, I don't know, but I have a possible theory. Um, I think that the, <clears throat> I think I have this thing where I need everybody to think I'm the greatest, the quote unquote, fantastic Mr. Fox. And if they aren't completely knocked out, dazzled and kind of intimidated by me, then I don't feel good about myself. I mean, this is Wes Anderson's main character in all of his films. Mm-hmm. Um, I went back and I watched Hotel Chevalier, uh-huh. uh, uh, and it's so interesting because, I, like I said, I think Owen Wilson kind of embodies that character of the the confident buffoon um, in Darjeeling Limited. But you watch Hotel Chevalier, which only has Jason Schwartzman and Natalie Portman in it, mm-hmm. and in that one, completely, Jason Schwartzman is the one who uh, embodies that role. So it seems to be this. This really strong archetype that 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 you know, um, Wes Anderson builds his characters around. Uh, mm-hmm. This movie was also co-written by Noah Baumbach. Uh, it's the second movie that was co-written by B- Noah Baumbach. The other one being uh, Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. So uh, I do think it's interesting to try to make parallels there to Steve Zissou. I think we get kind of that ensemble cast. I think we get. Uh, everybody having their own little special ability, which mm-hmm. I thought was really fun. We get the um, action again. We get another yeah. action scene. Totally. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> just watching those little uh, armatures cruise around on a motorcycle was funny and cute and endearing all wrapped into one. Yeah, There's I mean, just so much about this movie that I, that's so um, whimsical and yet, it's grounded in like adult themes. I love the way that they say "cuss" <laughs> For the in whole, this film, and they they start with it fairly obvious with mm-hmm. with Badger. You know, they go back and forth right. about cussing, and I love how they devolve into animal noises by right? the end. You know, it's you cussing at me, you cussing at me, come we'll cuss you, <laughs> and <laughs> cuss you, you cuss. But then later on, they sneak the cuss in to little moments where mm-hmm. they'll they'll say, and if your volume's not particularly high, I imagine it's easy to miss, but they're like, oh, cuss. Yeah. They'll say things like that, or what the cuss. Absolutely. Um, and it's not, they're not focusing on it, but it's it's there, and they set the groundwork really obviously at the start, and mm-hmm. then they can kind of play with it later on in a much more nuanced way, which yeah. I really... and. I, I want to go back to the physical comedy for a moment mm-hmm. because sure. that's to me is a really fascinating parallel with a lot of the previous uh, movies. I think one thing that we haven't ever narrowed down on is the physical comedy and the way that the first moments that pop into mind are usually when people leave the room, when the, the group, uh, departs and whoever our leader is whoever that stereotype is watching them race around in preparation the the amount of it shows this little behind the scenes moment and what i think of is max when he climbs into his teacher's bedroom Uh um oh yeah she lays him down the bed and she leaves and he runs over to the tape deck 
puts mm-hmm. the the song in, puts it on play, races back to the bed, and really gets himself in a position. And it tells you about what is occurring all the time for them in a lot right. of ways, I think, is that they are really hustling to make this, <laughs> to make everything the way they want it to be. Right. And we get to, and this is, I think, a different physical comedy, which, mm-hmm. and it's nice to see, we still get that moments of that, and I really enjoy the, the odd physicality that you get from these puppets that as they move back and forth and kind of a, it it looks weird to our eyes because it's not, it's not natural, but you still buy into it because it's Mm -hmm. a puppet show that you've, you've chosen to watch. (laughs) Um, but then you get moments like, uh, you know, we had the action scene in Zisu, which was something that we spent some time talking about. That was the first time Wes Anderson really had directed action and we get, very minimal moments outside of that. And this one, there is a lot of action, especially, you know, in terms right. of the, when they break out of the, the sewer, they come out of the manhole cover, they're throwing pine cones, people are shooting, they're dodging. Um, and it's not the sort of give them hell attitude that Zisu embodies when he gets the pistol and he just starts shooting people on his boat. Right. Um, but it's still, there's a, a physical tension there that we don't see from him often. And I love seeing it here. And it's Mm -hmm. why I love animated films is with, especially with talented people, you get things that cannot be achieved by real actors in a real setting. I think Kung Fu Panda is my go-to example. Kung Mm -hmm. Fu Panda is what Jackie Chan movies wants to be. That's if they could, (laughs) they would have, the bouncy nature of Kung Fu Panda, but they can't because we're governed by gravity. Um, and Jackie Chan has only so many bones to give. And <laughs> yeah, so watching these puppets do these scenes that I think Wes Anderson would love. He would put his mm-hmm. actors through if he wouldn't be sued by the guild, um, <laughs> was really kind of awesome. The, the rigid, geometry that their body sometimes took yeah uh, and you know jackie chan's in kung fu, kung fu panda yes he's the he has two lines i think he's the monkey i don't know why you would pay for two lines from jackie chan that could so not you have say been jackie chan's in the movie <laughs> um but but yeah i love i mean the physical comedy this is really funny I, I mean there was an action scene in bottle rocket but it wasn't anything like what was happening in uh, Steve Zissou, because at that point he hadn't really established his visual style. You know, uh-huh. those long tracking shots, that sort of thing. Yeah. A- another big thing that I thought was really funny in this movie was that they the 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 bandit masks that they would wear. <laughs> yeah. Like just the idea that a fox would need to wear a bandit mask mm-hmm. <laughs> to hide his identity. Yep. <laughs> you know, is is absurd. Um. And, you know, there's so many, like, small things in here that are absurd and that are uh, really endearing because it's it's animals doing things normally that humans would do. But at the same time, they're, you know, they still have those base animal instincts. Like, mm-hmm. when they eat food, they just devour <laughs> it. Or, <laughs> yeah, or when they start fighting each other, they get all angry uh, and, and start growling and gnashing their teeth and all that. Um and that really speaks, I think, to the bigger message of the film here. 
which is interesting because because Wes Anderson was so revealing, I think, with that little monologue that that Mr. Fox had that I read earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it continues. He says, uh, foxes traditionally like to court danger, hunt prey, and outsmart predators, and that's what I'm actually good at, I think. At the end of the day, I'm just, and then Mrs. Fox says, we're wild animals. There's something about this that is really revealing to me about kind of the Wes Anderson outlook on the world. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it explains a lot. I think it explains the confident buffoon character. I think it explains the ambiguous um, wealth that yeah. a lot of the characters have. You know, none of his characters ever really want for money. They're... Yeah. They're... Uh, uh, they're they're always kind of independently and and, and ambiguously wealthy, um, mm-hmm. and I think it talks a little bit about this kind of veneer to the world that we all live in. That there's something about I think the base idea that people take themselves way too seriously, and that and that that's it's a problem in the world. But it's also the thing that that you know. Uh, draws us together is you know trying to have some kind of earnestness around our passions and at the at the at the base emotion of that is is you know a longing to connect with other people Mm -hmm. but then there's this kind of primordial lizard brain that we also have that (laughs) is is you know hell-bent on just surviving and getting by and at the base of everything, we're all kind of the same. We're all just humans trying to get get by in this world, and that there's just a lot of bullshit piled on top of that by society. I think that's yeah. th- th- that's a common theme that that um, runs throughout all of Wes Anderson movies, but it's explicitly uh, explained in this one, which I think is interesting that he chose it basically a children's film to explain that in. Yeah, you you I think you're onto something because it is the the wild animal is the instinct. There's a lot mm-hmm. of when you go through the. When you read about this film, a lot of people talk about the instincts of Mr. Fox that he cannot overcome. And that is, a, in some, in a lot of ways, I think a metaphor for we as human beings, we're overcoming a lot of instinct to mm-hmm. not overpower one another and just turn this into the sort of the odd hierarchy of the fantastic right. Mr. Fox world of the farmers and then the animals who he can talk to, but has no problem committing this small massacre. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then the dogs and the hens, everybody still ignores and still does not even acknowledge a, a intellectual level in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in some ways that's where the, the leader come the, the confident buffoon is it's, <laughs> Uh, in a lot of ways, I think Dignan is driven by instinct at this point in his life yeah. for Bottle Rocket. Yep. Um, he's going with what has worked. He's going with his gut, which is a common uh, trope in a lot of movies. Is just going with your gut. You know, that's the the characters we we really we go with you know arnold schwarzenegger and commando go with your gut <laughs> smash that guy's head against a concrete block even though he is in no way your yeah. real villain totally. uh, but he's going with his gut so that's cool right um, and so dignan's trying to ho- he's trying to trust his instincts when as real 
human beings with responsibility, we see that. And, and I really struggle with <laughs> this guy is an idiot. This is the worst possible. Right. Because instinct is only half the equation. We've got a lot of other ticking pieces, you know, right. locked inside of our head and to let those, to let instinct run the show seems foolhardy and that's why we label him a buffoon but one mm-hmm. of those instincts is the pack mentality that you talked about and we get mm-hmm. animals that live in packs mm-hmm. in this in this movie hmm. um and they make they make an excellent foil it's a really good yeah. time for wes anderson to say some things that previous characters have been too dumb to openly <laughs> discuss in, in you're the absolutely sense. right yeah, I mean, it, there is like a there's a totally like an industrialist message to this movie, right? Yeah. Um I think that it it also comes out in that idea that the farmers can't speak to the fox and there is some like civilized nature to the fox. There's real estate, there's newspapers, there's <laughs> yeah. all this stuff, right? Um and and so there's like this industrialist message that there's kind of these mindless evil corporations uh and even the animals that work for those corporations um, are mindless themselves. They, they they don't have the ability to yeah. communicate with humans. Uh-huh. Um, except maybe the rat. We're not sure. Well, uh, and the rat's a very specific instance uh, yeah. where he yeah. is considered a sellout. The way he dances <laughs> is sort of this West Side story, like the street yeah. guy. Mm-hmm. And in the end... He he has to he has to redeem himself with the animal mm-hmm. kingdom, so yeah. It seems whereas the the hens and the beagles, we don't right. have a wild uh, <laughs> version of them in this movie. Rat right. is this. He was part of the animal kingdom and became industrialized, and that mm-hmm. makes him a traitor a, and different in a lot of ways. He is different yeah. from the animals and what he sees is right and wrong and why he does it. And, you know, he says he does it for the cider. Uh, right. You know, it's acknowledging an addiction essentially. <laughs> totally. I it's, mean, drug use is a, it's funny. Casual drug use is very, is a, is a common theme amongst Wes Anderson movies. And, mm-hmm. it, and this one is no different. Yeah. Uh, you know, the cider, I thought it was so funny that, um, you know, they have the 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 uh, the chicken place. Yep. And then what's the second place? It's chickens. Then it's pies, donuts. No, no it's turkey. It was, Isn't it? Turkey? No, because turkey was the third one. Because they they were there were two fowls. There was like it was like basically yeah, like chickens and, and chickens, geese. and then the third one was cider. Well, the cider guy had created his own his well, own apples. turkey, and he had created his own apple. I don't know. I think we're all turned around now about what All I'm saying is that mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was foul at each one. But the third one, they don't go for the foul. They go for the cider, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. Um, and it's also interesting how like, this is the only thing that these people consume. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever they make, they consume yeah. it 100% without... Without question, uh, and yeah. which makes the the cider guy essentially an alcoholic. You don't yeah, that's survive the only thing on that hard cider on. alone without really having, <laughs> and maybe that explains why he's so angry, right? But that, that I mean, it's the interesting thing, right? Because there's this industrialist message that you have these corporate overlords who are um, 
who are you know uh, ruling the ruling the roost as it were. Uh-huh. Um, they have animals in their um, control that are basically mindless, and then there are these enlightened animals that are living out in the fields and have, like I said, real estate agents and law firms and yeah. stuff. Um, and they come in and just stealing a couple of chickens or you know three bottles of cider uh is is a enough of an offense where the industrialized people go on a rampage and tear up the countryside and terrorize uh all of the people uh or all of the animals they're not people they're animals but they terrorize all of the animals uh regardless of whether they're complicit in the crime or not i mean mm-hmm. there's a big there's big themes to this movie that I think are more societal based which is interesting to me because I feel like Wes Anderson movies are more they're more they're smaller right in the mm-hmm. themes they're about father son relationships they're about coping with the death of a parent they're um uh you know they're about i guess those are the two things they're about but yeah, uh <laughs> that's pretty much it that's where we've um, gotten so far but it, it's just interesting there's kind of these broader themes and maybe that's something that Roald Dahl brings into it but uh there are this does correlate very very well to society i think which is interesting yeah and it's I wonder in some ways if that's where, and I mean, Wes Anderson has reached this point where he can catch a lot of actors. So Mm -hmm. it, it, but it brought out some really big talent. I really enjoyed the cast. There's a lot of people we've, we've heard before. Um, and especially guys like George Clooney. Uh, I wonder in some ways if the draw for them was just working for Wes Anderson or George Clooney can be a little bit, political in his in his actions and i wonder if this part of the reason for doing this movie is oh here's an opportunity to to explore something a little bit deeper Mm -hmm. than a normal kids movie because even you mentioned pixar especially when we're talking about comedy right and pixar loves to have these wink and nod uh jokes Mm -hmm. where like it's they're really pitching it over the kid's head and you're going that's right that's a pretty racy joke you just made there. Um, <laughs> and this movie is making jokes that are, I think, much more political uh, mm-hmm. and and social based um, right. in terms of justice and inequality. And <laughs> I, I love how I, really I love how that. the reporter is like, I think these people are going overboard. <laughs> yeah, in this reporter's opinion, uh, <laughs> a little too overboard. Well, they love. And the absurd, the lengths at which they're willing to go to, they level a hill, which yeah. in this, in this instance, we're talking about, and when we talk about the industrial nature and message, mm-hmm. like the lengths that the people, that the rich guys at the top are willing to go through to remove a nuisance, a small right. nuisance. Exactly. Yeah. Is, it's absurd. It, it, and the ability, their ability to do it has essentially no, it's almost limitless because they just exactly. remove the tree, the hill, they get mm-hmm. them down in the base and they blow it up. They um, have 108 people that they can bring in yeah. to kill one fox. Like, I mean, there, there are some big themes here. I mean, I don't want to get p- too political on this show, but, uh, you know, the idea of a proportionate response yeah. and kind <laughs> yeah. of exploring that uh-huh. is, is a strong theme in this movie, which mm-hmm. I think is interesting. Uh, for, for the record, by the way, uh, Bogus is a chicken farmer, Bunce is a goose and duck farmer, 
and Bean is a turkey and apple farmer. Oh. Which I think is interesting. Like I said, they, they kill the chicken, they kill the goose, but they don't kill the turkey. They go for the cider. Yeah. Which is... Uh, it's an interesting choice. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of themes here. focus on the second half. But. There's a lot of themes here. I think that... Uh, I mean, them drowning in cider as well is, is interesting, right? <laughs> yeah. Them being flushed out. Like, why didn't they use water? They use cider instead. Yeah, whatever. Uh, to it's- flush them out. Well, and that's some of that is the the lengths that they're willing to go to, you know, when they're mm-hmm. using their main product as a weapon. You know, they've mm-hmm. weaponized cider yeah. in this instance. Um, <laughs> it makes you – and if you want to – I mean, like, you think about nowadays the economic uh, mm-hmm. attacks are almost – are sometimes more effective than a military right. response. Right. Um so it's a, an interesting choice. I think there's a lot of really deep uh, stuff in here that what, and I'm I would love to know how much is we're, we're kind of starting to pull a little mm-hmm. bit um, in the way that you do when you look at you know art on a wall. You can really right. take a dive well past where the artist is totally. intending. Yeah, um, but I love that. I love that he did that with a stop motion <laughs> movie and yeah. And I don't know what it is about stop motion because Kubo and the Two Strings was probably one of my favorite movies of 2016. Yeah, so it was amazing. It's a beautiful way to make a movie, and I'm mm-hmm. so glad that Wes Anderson um, has taken such a fascination to it. And it, it's a perfect fit for him because he gets to make yeah. some. I I like to imagine that he is hand sewing <laughs> Mr. Fox's suits himself. I don't think he's quite getting that far, but it is interesting that they, I mean, like the, the sweater that the rat wears, it's an actual sweater that somebody knitted, you know, it is the bespoke nature of his aesthetic is on full display here with the stop motion film. Yeah. He's, Um, he's a good fit. Yeah, It's a great fit. It's, and it's, it's really intuitive. I think another thing that I'd like to kind of explore with this movie, and it's interesting because it kind of ties in with George Clooney a little bit. Um, I know that a lot of people. I'm a big Coen Brothers fan, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I'd love to do Coen Brothers on direct. It's just it's like a half a year in undertaking. Yeah. So uh, you know, it may or may not happen in the future, but it's something that I would love to do because I love the directors so much. They're my favorite directors. Um, you know, they made uh, old No Country for Old Men. Yeah. And they, it was like you know. Widely regarded as their best film, they won. They won the Oscar for best picture for that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's kind of their their big tentpole seminal film for uh, for the Coen Brothers. And then right after that, they made uh, Burn After Reading, and Burn After mm-hmm. Reading rubs a lot of people the wrong way. It's um, it's a weird one for sure. It's weird, but I love that movie because I love No Country for Old Men. I mean, No Country for Old Men is easily my top three movies of all time. And when you look at uh, when you look at Burn After Reading as a decompression to No Country for Old Men, I think that it makes a lot more sense. It has the dry humor that the Coens are known for. Um, it has the kind of kooky situations, but it also has like ultra violence in it. Like there's a scene where John Malkovich smashes. Uh, oh, smashes yeah, yeah. a dude's head in in the street with a hammer. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's this balance between the the extreme violence of 
uh, No Country for Old Men melded with the comic sensibilities of the Coen Brothers. And that's why that's one of the reasons why I really like it. The reason why I bring that up is because with Fantastic Mr. Fox, I feel like this, you know, it's such a stark departure for him mm-hmm. to go from stylized live action movies um, to a basically kids movie. Yeah. I mean, this this was marketed as a kids movie. It's easily a movie you could sit down and watch with your children. I think it's the only movie that he's made that isn't rated R. Um, you know, I've honestly have not paid attention to the ratings of any of these movies. Just I have reached think, that age where I don't care. And right, I think Royal Tenenbaums might be PG thirteen. Um, but it's it's definitely only PG movie. Uh-huh. Right, so. Uh, when you look at it as a decompression from the Darjeeling Limited, I do think that Darjeeling Limited, even though to me it doesn't resonate as strongly as Royal Tenenbaums or Steve Zissou, mm-hmm. um, I feel like to Wes Anderson, the Darjeeling Limited was kind of this big culmination of a lot of things that he had been um, involved in and thinking about and working on and perfecting over time. And it was a big undertaking for him. He made a short film about it. Then he went to India and filmed on a train and all this, this big thing. When you look at Mr. Fox as kind of a decompression from that and a decompression from the themes, because the themes are still there, the confident buffoon is still there, but it's an opportunity for him to kind of sit back, relax a little bit, and you know, be a little bit more explicit with his themes, have a little bit more fun, mm-hmm. have a little bit more comedy. And I think th- that alone makes me like this movie even more. Uh I'm going to call you on that when we get uh-huh. to Moonrise Kingdom next week. Right. No, that's why is... that's why it's that's why it's so in, it's so important to watch these movies in context to one another cuz I'm going to be very interested to watch Moonrise Kingdom one more time coming out of Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah, I'm hoping it's the last time I have to watch it. But I'm hoping that there's <laughs> something in there that's really going to uh, going to make all of this kind of come together and raise uh-huh. that that ship a little bit but yeah. um so you're not a big fan of moonrise kingdom either no it's just it, interesting i we've and we've talked about it before it's mm-hmm. i think it's my initial reaction was it's the the maturity level of the kids but i wonder when we get there uh. if there's not some some other issues with the with the storytelling and coming off mr fox will be i think not work in wes anderson's favor because mm. this movie is so so well done. It's mm-hmm. so well. The themes are solid. The story mm-hmm. is very, very linear, um, right? Compared to many of his previous stories. I mean, there's a lot that we go. We go into Royal Tenenbaums with um, just the breakdown of the family kind of in yep. advance, and then we jump mm-hmm. to now Royals back. Uh, this movie is. Uh, them stealing chickens. She's gonna be a mother. Jump forward fourteen <laughs> yeah. fox years, uh, which I really love that yes. <laughs> structure of yep. showing going between human time and fox time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's it's the story of him just falling back into his old habits and the trouble that that brings. Right, and it's pretty straight. It's simple, like we've said before. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tenenbaums really jumps to a moment of action. I think Zisu mm-hmm. bounces around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's about this revenge story, but there are a lot of other things kind of tugging on the story as you go along. Right. Um, yeah. Darjeeling is really, uh, feels like you're coming not just into the middle of the action, but kind of mm-hmm. the last 
act. Right. Almost. And part of a big part of Darjeeling is the way that it reveals things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we get the the um, foreshadowing of the story from Jason Schwartzman's character. And hey, I didn't yell at the mechanic. And then we actually see later in the movie the whole thing, the whole the way the whole interaction happened as they were getting their dad's car back from the mechanic um, trying to get to his funeral. So. Yeah, you're totally right. This one's more linear. It's also more of a kind of a traditional story. This is really like mm-hmm. the first time that Wes Anderson has put an actual villain in his movie. Oh, yeah. And the, the first obvious. Yeah. The first real villain. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, um, you know, it's. It, it, I had to make a note of it because you get pseudo villains. You know, uh-huh. like there's the principal in Rushmore, which he was not really a villain. He's more of a yeah, he foil. Was... Yeah, he was almost and a, little a bit friend of in a weird way. Yeah, he's like he's like this weird. He's got a weird relationship, of course. Uh, in Steve Zissou, we have Jeff Goldblum's character, uh-huh. uh, who is a villain. He's a, he's a he's an en- a nemesis, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he ends up on the ship with Steve at the end. Um, this is really the movie that has a villain in it, which I think is interesting, and I think that lends to that kind of linear nature of the story. Also, it's a simplified story because it's a story for children, right? So Yeah, that's true. Uh, but yeah, I do think it's interesting that this is the first time he has a real villain for his um, for his, his main character to fight against. It's In all of his other movies, people are just trying to overcome themselves. Yeah. Or, <laughs> they are their you know, own worst enemies. Yeah, exactly. In this one, I think Mr. Fox is his own worst enemy in some ways, but at the same time... Uh, he is forced to learn that selflessness through an actual enemy who's trying to destroy him and his entire family. Yeah. We also, this is the first time where we don't have ambiguously wealthy as a, as a mm. character type. Mm-hmm. Everybody, Mr. Fox is actually poor by at least his <laughs> own standards. Um, you know, the big deal about moving into the tree and feeling less poor. And right. then you have the, the villains who are rich, but you see the source of their wealth, uh, because it is one of the it is a plot device, you know mm-hmm. the the struggle over what they produce and who it belongs yeah. to. Um, so it was, yeah. It's interesting. I really enjoy yeah. that seeing Wes Anderson write something a little more straightforward, and I also enjoy mm. when people don't commit suicide in a movie. That's really or yeah, try. no suicide attempts, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I want to get uh, another big thing. We, we've talked about the animals on the farm. We've talked about the farmers. We've talked about Mr. Fox and his bundle of friends. There's one other uh, archetype in this movie that we haven't talked about, and that's a lone wolf at the end. <laughs> the literal and figurative yeah. lone wolf. Lone wolf. Yes. Let's please talk about this wolf because yeah. I find it fascinating. Yeah, I thought it was really great. I mean, this movie in a lot of ways is... There, you know, there's big themes around family in this movie, and those mm-hmm. themes resonate throughout a lot of Anderson's work. Um, a big theme in this movie, though, is coming to grips with the fact that sometimes you got to settle down a little bit. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, you know, you can acknowledge your wild nature, but at the same time, you have a responsibility to your family. Uh-huh. Um, you know, throughout the entire movie, Ash is trying to um, to win the approval of his father. His father was a star athlete mm-hmm. and a rip-roaring adventurer. Uh, you know, his mom, when she was young, was was 
an adventurous person or uh-huh. fox uh has a has a history if you if according to rat yeah for sure well you know in a lot of uh, you know in, in a in a lot of ways, you know, in our society, a man going out and, and spreading his wild oats is seen as adventurous, and a woman doing that is seen as, you know, scandalous, and yeah. that gets explored in this, right? I don't, I, I, it seems to me that Mr. and Mrs. Fox are good, are a great match because, oh, absolutely, you could, I would just like to see their adventures when they were like in their twenties, mm-hmm. you know, see the story um, of how they met. You yeah, know, exactly. What, that? what does that look like? Well, yeah, and you know she was she was on the heist with him at the beginning. Yeah, I think reluctantly, but she was <laughs> she, she she had all the moves down, right? Yep. Um, so there's this idea that like acknowledging who you are and acknowledging your base nature, but also understanding your responsibility to your family. Uh-huh. And him, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a literal lone wolf at the end, and him acknowledging the lone wolf. Also, you know, he's got a phobia of wolves. Yeah. So there's something about. This whole movie is about kind of rejecting your own nature, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In some ways, is is uh, this movie's about you know rejecting your wild nature, rejecting your lone wolf nature, falling in with society, um, living along the lines that society wants you to live in, buying the house instead of living in the hole, mm-hmm. you know that whole thing. Um, those all get explored, but I think him saying goodbye to the lone wolf at the end. Uh, is him kind of acknowledging and him kind of growing up and understanding that he needs to be more than a charismatic surface level leader. He needs to be a uh, a compassionate person who's there for his family at the end. Yeah, and which I think is interesting. And the the way I read the wolf is mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways he is he's between the prey of the farms and the animal and the animals because he does not speak. Right, but he's not mindless. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of lives on the fringes of mm-hmm. this this little society, this little hierarchy that we've kind of discussed, right. um, which is, in a lot of ways, I think everybody's dream. That's why everybody loves apocalypse movies because everybody looks at the apocalypse and goes, <laughs> "I would do awesome. I'd be great. I'd be farming. <laughs> I'd be, I'd be protecting people. I'd be kicking ass." Um, well, there's something about the really, idea, like what everybody wants to see themselves right. as, is we are singularly sufficient. Mm-hmm. But I think part of the phobia for Mr. Fox is because of his need to be liked and mildly intim- mm. in- intimidating, um, he needs people for that. He needs his yeah. pack to be around him. And while he he interprets that initially as, you know, these are my my followers i think Mm -hmm. part of the phobia with the wolf is that without them he is he is nothing and so he is afraid to be that that singular character because he he predicates his entire personality on being surrounded by people and interact and the interaction that comes with that right Um, and it's very interesting because i think one of the reasons why people love that post-apocalyptic idea is like the idea that everything's even again mm -hmm. right that, that we don't have a social hierarchy. Uh, we don't have, you know, the haves and the have-nots. Every, everybody is 
Um, it's based on survives, your own hard work. Yeah, based on your own merits and all of this stuff. But there's a huge fear of that, right? Because we also have this comfort of society that we live in. Yeah. And that's um, the part people ignore is that we'd yeah. all be dead. We'd be so screwed. There'd oh, be yeah. like, there's like a handful of people that would truly be built for that <laughs> world. And they look like this wolf. They don't talk. Yeah. At some point, uh-huh. they lose the ability to interact with society. And all they can do <laughs> is give you the big fist up. Right. And all you could do is give them back. That's the amount of interaction that you can successfully have with yeah. the lone wolf character. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I have a bunch of board games, so I think I'd be okay because I could pedal in games <laughs> until I'm murdered for my games. I need um, three wood cards. <laughs> I've, got, I've got three wood cards. I need a glass of water. Well, Catan sets. Missing a lot mm-hmm. more than wood. <laughs> You know, um, <laughs> that's your bartering. That's you. That's my, that's my barter. Thank you. Uh, yeah, but I love that theme. I mean, this whole thing is like suppressing the wild nature um, and finding finding solace and finding satisfaction in the smaller things in life. Right? Yeah, it's kind of well, like the bigger theme here, and and that's something that resonates too. I think. Uh, the the big movie that stands out here is Steve Zissou, which, like, is, like I mentioned earlier, is co-written by Noah Baumbach, which was mm-hmm. um, he's a co-writer on this one as well. And a great director, by the way. If you haven't watched Noah Baumbach's movies, please go watch them. They are great movies. Um, but, uh, you know, that the, the idea that Steve is, like, going on these adventures and his whole heart, his identity is wrapped up in this persona that he's created for himself... Um, and at the end of the day, it's, you know, a kid with a seahorse in a plastic bag mm-hmm. um, that gives gives him the understanding that life is an adventure, but sometimes you got to quiet down a little bit, you know? Yeah. And, and it takes the death of two people for him to understand that. And I really, I'm glad we brought Noah Baumbach back up because this mm-hmm. movie ends on a similar note where uh, Fox toasts to mm-hmm. our survival. And yeah. I think that that gets, in some ways, to the root of this. It's all an adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, one mm-hmm. of the things I like I like about movies is that, you know, told through the perspective, we, as human beings, we we like telling stories. We are storytellers just by instinct, um, and we like to tell these grandiose tales. And right. we see movies, and in some ways, we. It's easy to feel like Mr. Fox. You want to have the exciting story and being a newspaper man with a column that you don't think anybody reads is not as exciting as being out there taking chickens and, and risking your life <laughs> unnecessarily. Right. Um, and movies tell this bombastic story and these characters are all brought back down to you don't have to seek these adventures. You're having adventures on a daily basis. And while they're not, they don't have the pyrotechnics of a, <laughs> of a movie, right? Your life is interesting. Your life is an adventure. It's a mm-hmm. series of events that are unique to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what you're trying to do is survive <laughs> just on a daily basis. And yeah, we want to be the lone wolf because we think that's the more interesting story. But in reality, it's family and friends and the support of those around us that 
that are what make it easy to survive. And that's right. where you see people struggle in everyday life. The, mm-hmm. the inequalities are people who do not have that support mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And so mm-hmm. I really enjoy that message of, of family from Wes Anderson. And he tells it in some really, he uses some really stark contrast to make the point with the death of characters. And right. Mr. Fox is, goes down real smooth because it's a kid's movie. It's got animals. Nobody <laughs> dies. Kids don't die. Um, certainly. <laughs> and so it's a movie that I, it'll be one of those movies. I hope and pray my child watches the most, yeah. you know, when kids latch onto a movie and want to watch it a hundred times, <laughs> I hope it's fantastic. Mr. Fox, please let uh. it be fantastic. Mr. <laughs> Fox, because that's a good message. That's an enjoyable story. It's got great tactility with its characters, and I will buy my child a tiny suit and get it tailored if he so desires. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I like this movie a lot. I uh, it was it was a great bounce back for me, and and the more that I talk about it, and the more that we talk about the themes, you know, mm. I, we criticize Darjeeling Limited for being so theme heavy and so rehashed, and. I think that from a plot device standpoint, this movie is not necessarily a rehash, but from a character and theme standpoint, it is. But it's also the kind of the clearest representation of the Anderson character. Yeah. Especially that lead character archetype. Mm-hmm. The, that confident buffoon who's, who's in the lead. It's so interesting how all of these movies have this, basically the same main character. Yeah. It's kind of mind-boggling, right? It's... Um, and it's a common question, right, amongst film geeks: is what is his best movie? Mm-hmm. And I feel like, uh, you know, one of the, I think I was watching a nerd writer, uh, vlo- uh, video about this on uh-huh. the nerd writer YouTube channel, um, and he said the Darjeeling Limited was his favorite, and he said that you know basically it's whenever. Y- whenever the movie hits you at what time in your life, that's the movie that you like the most, and maybe yep. that's what he does. Maybe it's, maybe it's about you know, trying to perfect these themes over time. Uh, and, and then it just kind of speaks to you based on when and how you've consumed that story. Yeah. And he's picked the, a really, a really deep well in terms Mm -hmm. of if he's going to come back to one theme over and over again, he picked, in my opinion, one of the, the best ones. Right. Um, And given his, his nature and his, his aesthetic sense. Um, it's something he can just keep coming back to. He's not David Fincher. David Fincher, you know, moves around a lot. Um, <laughs> and while he has a, a sense of, of his material and what he's making, um, thematically, uh, he doesn't really beat the same drum every time. And right. so what we ended up getting from him was a lot of his, sensibilities mm-hmm. but Wes Anderson picked this theme and yeah. he can just and there are artists there are artists who work in as many mediums as they can get their hand on they're constantly moving around and there are some mm-hmm. that will do the same medium and the same type of uh, design or artistic piece yeah but they do it over and over and over and over and you get when you get them all in a row their work mm-hmm. right um you really get to watch that evolution. And I, yeah. I don't think that I would have caught had you, we sat down at the beginning and thought about <laughs> it, that, uh, Wes Anderson's strongest piece is that 
his confident leader and mm-hmm. his struggle with sense of self and responsibility mm-hmm. to family and family being yeah. and the one that I did I do recognize is from the beginning was that his notions of family are very strong and very fluid um, right family is what you what you make it 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 is and and also I think these are like kind of universal themes because it's about you know in many ways, we want to be Steve Zissou, or we yeah. want to be Royal Tenenbaum, or we want to be Max, or we want to be Mr. Fox. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, they, they're they all flawed characters, and they all are actually rooted in self-doubt, right? And yeah. so I think um, understanding that insecurity that goes along with anybody and the kind of the imposter syndrome that happens mm-hmm. and all of that... Those are themes that speak really strongly. Uh, I do think that, and I'm interested in, I'd, I'd be really interested to get more of a female perspective on it because yes. I do kind of think that these movies are very male-centric in their depictions of these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, kind of that idea, that Mr. Fox idea, right, that, that we were talking about where, you know, he, you try to be intimidating and... Uh, and charismatic and interesting and uh, smart and a leader and all this stuff. Um, I feel like those are all tropes that are really projected onto males mm-hmm. in this country, um, you know, particularly in Western society. Uh, so I, I, I wonder. I wonder about how that gets interpreted because once again, in this movie, basically the man is kind of this man child. And the woman is the sage, smart person who drops bombshells and, you know, <laughs> and calls people on their shit and slaps uh, Mr. Fox. And, you know, this mm-hmm. idea, you know, they get trapped in this cage and it's, <clears throat> you know, the first words are, I'm pregnant. Uh, you know, she has the line and Mrs. Fox has the line in this movie. Uh, I love you, but I never should have married you, which is like one of the harshest lines I've ever heard in the movie. <laughs> um Cold for so, a kids' movie, for sure. Cold, but but it's this idea, right? I mean, we have kind of these sage women that are that are uh, a theme throughout all these movies as well. Mm-hmm. You have, and, you know, the teacher in Rushmore. Uh, you have um, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's character in Royal Tenenbaums, who's got this kind of elevated. You know, she's she's smarter than everybody. There's mm-hmm. this the sage, the sage wisdom wise woman character is somebody who's in all of his movies as well. Yeah, and, and I wonder from a female perspective how that gets interpreted, right? Probably um, that not relationship in a, between these two. A nice light, I imagine. I don't know, and it's un- it's unfortunate because I really wanted uh, the scene where Mrs. Fox fights Rat. Mm-hmm. I really mm-hmm. wa- thought she. I couldn't remember how the movie went, but I really assumed that she would kick his ass because mm-hmm. you know we know her history with Mister Fox. We know she's capable. Um, mm-hmm. And now you've got the mother protecting a child moment, which is always a really strong uh, emotion. And right. the fact that Mr. Fox still comes in and finishes his fight is kind of a a bummer. And it's and, and it's a very stereotypical Western depiction of yeah. well, yeah, she can hold her own, but we're gonna have Mr. <laughs> Fox come in and and finish the fight, and that's it's too bad. It's it's missed opportunity. Yeah, I just really. think it's so interesting. Like all these movies are the same fucking movie. Yeah, they all we can <laughs> like like you think about a director like Tarantino. 
very much like has his own style, mm-hmm. but he makes very different movies. Like Jackie Brown is very different from Death Proof. Is very yeah. different from Django Unchained. Mm-hmm. Like they they're di- they're stylistically similar, but the stories are very different, and they pay homage to different eras. Like you know, Reservoir Dogs and Kill Bill are two completely different movies. All of these movies are very much kind of the same archetypes, the same themes, the same characters, the same all of this stuff. Um, yeah, if there's a challenge, go put to, yeah. <laughs> see if you can edit together all of Wes Anderson's <laughs> movie and make the ultimate Wes Anderson movie that reads using yeah. clips from all of his films. I think you know you could have it where um, that doesn't really work. Because you could you, have Ma- you could have Max become Jason Schwartzman's character in the Darjeeling Limited because their fathers are so different. No, but Max would could becoming Owen Wilson's character in is the in Darjeeling Limited. I mean, you no, have but to. But Max's dad is a barber. Yeah, I'm not talking in a, a oh. literal sense. I'm wondering if you can line up these no, I think characters' could. actions in a row yeah. and scene together. <laughs> The character reads as himself. Right. <laughs> Just the, right. the, that does the character's abilities and sentiments. Just read like you're like, oh yeah, that's the same guy across the whole thing. That's, that'd be really interesting, actually. Yeah, I mean, it'd be funny because Max, you know, so many times says his dad said says that his dad is a neurosurgeon. So yep. you could just play with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could do like a supercut, like a four hour Wes Anderson verse movie. That'd yeah. be interesting. And then you cut to Jason Schwartzman as Ash, which, holy yeah. crap, that guy's got... He just does that character so well. I could not I know. believe how much I liked Ash yeah. as an interesting character, even though he's a moody child voiced by Jason Schwartzman. But she, yeah, voiced by a 30-year-old man. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just thought, you know, this movie's very wonderful, and I, and I can't wait to see um, Wes Anderson's next movie, which I think comes out in 2017. Well, we'll probably be back to watch it yeah we got a big year i think in 2017 in terms of direct because uh you know we made the you know we're gonna we're gonna go back and watch the movies of the guys that we have covered Mm -hmm. um and i know that edgar wright has a movie coming out in 2017 oh he does guillermo Guillermo del toro has a movie coming out in 2017 Uh, i haven't seen there's no trailers out for that yet are there no, but uh, uh, they. I think uh, Entertainment Weekly had a photo in the. Uh, Got to be getting like, close. And uh, and then uh, I'm pretty sure this this movie, uh, the new Wes Anderson movie, is also coming out in 2017. Oh. So we're gonna have to we're gonna have some rehashes. The only guys uh, I don't think Tarantino and I'm fairly certain David Fincher is doing something. I don't know. Maybe he moved to a cabin. He just moved. He moved to uh, Neil Patrick Harris's house in Gone Girl. <laughs> and he's just living there now. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's that's uh, that's our podcast for the fantastic Mister Fox. Yeah. Uh, listener, please keep in touch with us. Uh, send us an email directpodcast at gmail dot com or go to the forums forums dot dot com. And uh, we have posts there for every movie, so you can have the discussion there uh, with the other listeners and users of baldmove.com. Um, and until next time, where we'll be watching Moonrise Kingdom, uh, I'm Eric. I'm Levi. Cut. <laughs>